Okay, I'm going to first of all start out with a joke this morning. Uh, it's a good, it's a preacher joke, okay? I thought it was the best preacher joke I ever heard, almost. Okay, well, the pastor went to visit one of his parishioners, and he got to the house. He saw the TV on, saw lights on, actually saw people in the, the shadows moving around the house. So he goes up and knocks on the door, and nobody came. He knocked again, nobody came. He waited a few minutes, knocked again, knocked three or four times, finally gave up, took his, his pastor card out and wrote uh, the scripture, uh, Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open to me, I will come in and fellowship with him. And then he went home. And then the next Sunday, they took up the offering, and the pastor's card was in the offering plate. And there was another scripture written under the Revelations 3.20. It was Genesis 3.24 that says, I was naked and afraid. <laughs> I thought that was great. Wasn't that a great one? That was worth it to me. Like, yes, I was naked and afraid. So, amen. You have just heard the best of the message. <laughs> but the Lord's good at me. Now that you're happy and not feeling miserable about a message, I'm going to give you this message. <laughs> so what I'm going to talk to you about today is cultivating the kingdom in the way you think. Okay, cultivating the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, in the way you think. And so um, one thing that is obvious to me is God thinks a lot different than I do. And... I don't think God's going to change, okay? I don't think He's going to change the way He thinks to fit my way of thinking. I was saying about some of the things that the Lord thinks, and He thinks like this all the time. This is the problem with the Lord. He don't just think occasionally. This is the way He thinks. He thinks the best citizens, the model citizens, the people we should model our life after in the kingdom are children. That's, that's pretty, pretty amazing when you think that way. He also uh, think, does not look at people according to their socioeconomic situation, their race, uh, even their religion. The, he doesn't look at people based on outward appearances. He always looks at a person's heart. That's the way he thinks about people. He looks into their heart, what's really in their heart, regardless of what they look like or act like. He's, he's seeing beyond that. He says you can be promoted... By getting low. You can be promoted by getting low. He says you can gain by giving. That just doesn't sound right, does it? You can live by dying. And so you see, these are just sort of the, the opposites almost. That's why I came to a point not long ago in my life where I just said, Lord, I'm just going to start thinking opposite of everything I think. Because obviously I don't think about things right. I don't think about people right. I don't think about anything. I don't even think about myself right. So I'm just going to, every time I have a thought about myself or some situation, I'm just going to purposely take the opposite perspective on it because it just seems that I don't really have the right way to look at things. But the, but the Father does. And He wants to, uh, to teach us how to engage Him in His thinking because this, let me read this scripture. We've given this scripture many times, but it's always well worth it. From that time, Jesus, this is Matthew 4:17. from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. That word repent, as most of you know, but just in case you don't, does not mean what you think it means. It means change the way you think. It's important for us to know that this is the first words that came out of Jesus' mouth in terms of him launching his ministry. He had spoken some things that we didn't get to hear, uh, and he did speak a couple of things when he was 12 years old that we got to, to listen to. But this is the beginning of his ministry. And so right from the beginning, he, he began to tell people not to be focused on sin, okay, because that's just the, that's the way it's been interpreted for a long time, but that was not really his intent. It was to, his intent was to be focused on the kingdom of heaven. And, and he said the way you engage the kingdom of heaven is not thinking about you've got to quit doing sins. It's you've got to think in terms of changing the way you think so you can begin to see the kingdom of heaven, so you can begin to engage the kingdom of heaven. And as one famous preacher once said, sin becomes like a third shoe. There's just nowhere to put it. You don't have another foot to put it on. You get that? And when you begin to engage the kingdom and begin to see things the way the Lord sees it, sin begins to take care of itself. It just doesn't, you don't have a place in your life for it. You don't, it doesn't fit for you. And see, that's really a higher way of dealing with sin. It's seeing something that we're not seeing. It's thinking in a way that we're not thinking. And then we can begin to disengage the power of the enemy that he has over our life. Well, the awesome thing about, about Jesus is he didn't, you know, he didn't tell us to do something. First, he gave, us, he gave us power to do it. Every command comes with power. If God commands us to do something, if he says do this, then he, there's power in those words. There's ability given to man to be able to do those words. He didn't ask us to do something and then says, and when you get done with it, come check back with me and I'll see how you did. He says, no, I'll give you the power to do it. And that's the Holy Spirit. Thank you, for the Lord, for the Holy Spirit, right? And that's how grace has worked out in our life is through the spirit of grace. Um, but this other thing that's so wonderful to me is that not only he, did he give us power, not only did he tell us what to do to change the way we think, he gave us exam- more examples, right here he said this, very concrete examples of the way he thought to help us to begin to engage the kingdom in in they're in Matthew 5, right after the Matthew 4 or 17, they sort of give the genealogy of Jesus, which is pretty awesome. But then there's this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. This is the most famous sermon there is. It covers Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. And in that Sermon on the Mount is revelation. I mean, if you will really sit down and begin to read that and really look at what's in there, Seeing it through the eyes of the Spirit, you will be amazed that there's stuff in there that it's, it's really sort of mind-boggling, really. And I know probably everybody in this room has read that many times. But I'll tell you something, you've never read it until you read it with your eyes open and really begin to see some things. Uh, he begins um, in verse 3 with what they call the Beatitudes. Everybody knows what the Beatitudes is. Does anybody know what Beatitude actually means? <laughs> because it doesn't really say beatitude in there. You know, we think be, have this attitude is what we think. That's not really what it means. It means beatitude is the word they tie it. It means supremely blessed is what that word means. And so he gives these beatitudes, these blessings, uh, starting in verse 3, going through verse 12 of Matthew 5. 
And every one of them, there's, there's nine Beatitudes. There's nine blessings that the Lord says. And some of them are very tricky, like blessed are those who mourn. How many, how many would think that's not a blessed state? It's mourning. But actually, there, the Bible's really clear. I found this out. Uh, anybody who's gone through mourning needs to find this out. And you're going to go through mourning in this world. You can't escape it. That's the way life is. But we should find out how to mourn. Jesus was very clear on how to mourn. There's, there's two ways to mourn. I don't really want to get into this too much today. I, I hope to talk to you more about this. There's a way of, of mourning that will lead you into disbelief. A lot of people get stuck in that. And there's a way of mourning that will lead you into more belief of Christ. So, I mean, so he really addresses that right away, right at the very beginning. Uh, because he didn't take away the, the sorrow and pain of this world. Actually, he put us here to deal with it. Um, another one that's just crazy as it can be, crazy as a bed bug, is for him when he starts talking about, blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted, and people say evil against you. Like, what? <laughs> uh, and you, if you have the word of the kingdom, you'll find out. If you really have the kingdom of God working in you, you need to know something. There's a persecution that comes with it. Absolutely. The Bible's very clear on that. But Jesus says, it's, you're blessed. Um, there's nine of these, and I thought, I thought it was interesting. The, the number nine is, uh, he used this term nine times. Actually, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is crazy. When I started looking at the number nine in Scripture, it was pretty interesting. In the Sermon on the Mount, the whole sermon, Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven nine times. Okay? I'm a statistics guy, so I'm not money statistics. I like biblical statistics because they speak to me. Jesus, there's nine gifts of the Spirit. There's nine fruit of the Spirit. Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning, and he died, gave up the ghost, is what the King James says, at the ninth hour. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and at 9 o'clock in the morning. So you can see in the kingdom of heaven, nine is an important number to God. Obviously, he arranged things around this number nine. And really, you know, you, I looked at the different things that tell you what numbers mean. Some people are just so hung up on judgment because in the Old Testament, nine tend to tend towards judgment. But in the, and they would just try to push that notion into the New Testament. But really, nine in the New Testament means completion. It means finality. This is God's fullness of counsel. This is the God's fullness of work. Okay? That he, I'm not going to look at y'all. I'm going to hide from y'all. Okay, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost is one of the most full things that we could ever experience. And it came at nine o'clock in the morning. So anytime there's something that happened nine times or Jesus mentioned it nine times, you think we might want to pay attention to it. They're just little clues from heaven like, hello, there's nine blessings. These are kind of important for you. In other words, connect this beatitudes to back what I just said, change the way you think. And obviously, here are nine ways you can change the way you think. I'll just put them out there for you right up front. Now, the word blessed really is, is an interesting word. I looked up the meaning of it. This is great. The word is an adjective. I didn't know that. I was suggesting happy, supremely blessed, a condition in which congratulations are in order. Blessed are you when you're mourning. Congratulations. You're in mourning. Congratulations. Something powerful can happen in your life. That's how God looks at it. Like, really? 
How did mourning get to be congratulations? But from God's perspective, God's way of thinking, it very much can be. Uh, let me finish reading this. It's a grace word, Becky Love. There you go. It's a grace word that expresses special joys and satisfaction granted the person who experiences the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that powerful? God has these special graces for us. These things that He wants to release into us when we begin to change the way we think. Truthful. This is, that's why Jesus said change. Because if you'll change, something special can happen to you. You're to be congratulated. So, I think it's interesting that all mankind is looking to be happy. Now, don't believe the religious spirit that says that happiness is not important. Yes, there's not a soul on earth that is not looking for happiness. Now, you can change that word if you stumble over, over happy. Change it to gladness. Okay? Change it to fulfillment. Okay? Change it to something else if you are hung up on happy. But I'm not hung up on happy. Because God's happy. God has put it in the nature of man. When he blew his breath, when he created human beings, he put this thing in them that says, I want to be happy. What's, how's your job going? I'm not happy. More than likely, you're going to quit or something's going to change. Or you're going to make everybody at home crazy. Right? You have a bad day. What happened? I had a bad day. Everybody's like, get away. You know? So I think, to me, it's liberating for me, right off the bat. I feel liberated that God wants me happy. I feel that's a liberation to me. Like, oh, God wants me to actually be happy. I don't have to be a miserable person. I don't have to be a heavy person. Okay? I don't have to do all that stuff. God has answers, answers for me and all the things that would work against my happiness. And that ain't, that's awesome. Now, religion and the world's way of thinking will make you, listen to this, this I thought about all the things they've done, miserable, unhappy, empty, dissatisfied, depressed, despondent, discouraged, disillusioned, and a feeling of despair. That's what religion does for you. That's what the world would do for you, their way of thinking. And so when we begin to suffer in things, we can begin to say, oh, yeah. I'm not thinking right. I'm not th- I need to change the way I'm thinking. That's how, where I go. I go right to my thoughts. Now, I understand, understand there could be some, you know, chemical problems or biological problems. You know, God makes room for all that, right? So what if we look at the Bible as God's guide for living a happy life? Well, don't you think more people would be interested in the Bible? Instead of like a bunch of rules and Bible thumping and beat you to death because you're not measuring up to something written down that nobody's measuring up to and everybody's all in a quandary over about what it means and, you know, what's going to happen here and all that. Instead of saying, wait a minute, this really is supposed to make me happy. This God wrote it all down for me to be a happy, fulfilled, delighted person. That's what the Beatitudes are, are for, is God is saying, my kingdom is meant to do this for people. It's not, this other stuff is not meant, it's going to tear you down, but I want to build you up. I want to read Psalm 1611. Mm, mercy, Lord. It, this is a powerful verse here. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore, or forevermore. <laughs> 
So there are three things in that verse. Number one, his desire is to reveal to us how to be happy and fulfilled. That's the path of life. That's what God's desire is for everybody in this room this morning. The second thing is the presence of the Lord. That God's presence is, brings this thing called the joy. That in His presence is joy. Every, y'all, a lot of y'all know that, right? That's why we're so addicted to His presence. I'm addicted to His presence. I'll be honest with you because I love that joyful thing that happens when I feel the presence of the Lord around me. Something happens to me. And so I could live my life, you know, in the presence of the Lord and be a really happy, happy person and never do nothing. But somehow God doesn't have that in his mindset. Like, that's not exactly how I think. I appreciate you loving being in my presence. But it's like your wife who just loves you to death. Get up and go make some money, though, in the meantime. I can't have you laid up here on me all day. Okay, anyway, thank you, Jesus. The person of Christ, that's what that is. The presence is the person of Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. He, when He shows up in a manifest way, joy shows up with Him. That's the truth. That is, that's why we love the presence. So when we say we're addicted to the presence, if if you're bothered by that, how about thinking about it like this? The presence is the person of Jesus Christ. If you got a problem with that, you get, need to get saved now. You need to get that religious spirit thrown out of you badly, fastly, quickly. He's everything. And then at your right hand are pleasures or happiness or fulfillment forevermore. So the first one, the Lord says, I want to do this for you. I want to show you a fulfilled life. I want to show you how to live a life. Really what you're hungering for deep down in your heart, what you're looking for deep down in your heart, I want to show that to you. That's what I do. And here's how I do it. I do it, first of all, with the presence of, of Jesus Christ. Is I want to bring Him in to your life where He manifests Himself to you and you begin to experience His presence and begin to get impacted by this person, the most lovely person there is. And then the power. That's the right hand, right? In the Bible, whenever it talks about God's right hand, it's talking about God's power. Okay? Here's the truth. You cannot fully know God without knowing His power. Because God's power is inherent to who He is. So we can't just say, oh, we just want your, your wonderful, sweet presence, but we don't really want to get into this power stuff. We don't really need all that. You know, that's, too, that's messy. And the Lord says, no, you'll never know me without knowing my power because my power comes with me. So that's where... For us, the power of God can make us real happy. What makes Christians happy? I'm talking about Christians who love it. They love, the, they love it when they see people get saved. They love it when they see God touch a person. They love it when they see the poor people get fed. They love it when they hear about missionaries going out and doing stuff. That's the power of God. They, that makes them happy. That makes them like, yes, this is what we're here for. They love it when they see God heal somebody and somebody testifies that God touched them. You know, and deliver them out of something. That's what, that's what in your heart stirs you. Otherwise, Christianity is born and miserable. So, now I will admit, joy is greater than happiness. Okay? Christ is greater than what He does. But Christ is what He does. So happy, joy should lead to happiness. That's what God wants to do. He wants to let you experience His joy. And then He wants to make you happy in your life. All right, since we all seek happiness 
or seek to be happy, that's, you know, the source is, is really important. I just want to throw this out to you because you can seek to be happy in the wrong way, obviously. Listen to Proverbs fifteen twenty one. It says, folly, listen, this is crazy. Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment. Isn't that crazy? Folly is, in other words, you can be deceived in your pursuit of happiness, thinking that alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever it is, your job, your ministry, your calling, whatever you think will make you happy, could actually lead you far away, far away from true happiness. Some of the most miserable people, one of the greatest things that God gives man is children, right? And I have seen some of the most resentful people are parents. And why are they resentful? Because their kids made them resentful. Something that God gave us can destroy you. Your ministry can destroy you. It can take everything away. It can strip you naked. Your children can strip you naked. Your calling can strip you naked. It can take everything away from you. You know, I believe the Lord really wants to release a powerful healing anointing in this church, much part than we ever experienced. But this is one thing I do know. Here's, here's what Big and I were like, how do we do this? We do this by keeping our focus on Jesus Christ. You know, pursuing Christ, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and letting, letting that stuff do what it does. And I think that's how you walk down the road of treachery in the supernatural realm. Are y'all following that? I, was, I wrote this down, I got, and then I wanted to read this. Our desire for happiness motivates us more than we know. And if we do not have the wisdom to seek happiness in the kingdom of God and the person of Christ, then we will find whatever substitutes we can in the world, whatever they are for you. And that's really important to know. Because in the end, those substitutes are going to leave you high and dry. And they could be the most noble thing. I promise you, Jim Hill could probably line this, fill this room up with miserable missionaries right now. <laughs> because somehow they put what they were doing before the person of Christ. I read, yeah, I wanted to read this to you. Are y'all, y'all want to hear this? There's a man named E. Stanley Jones. Well, that was right, huh? huh? Y'all want to hear this? Too bad. I don't care if you dollar it. <laughs> Don't you love it when people put the mess with you? There was a man named E. Stanley Jones who was a Methodist guy back in the 1920s to the 1960s is when his ministry was. And he was a missionary in in, uh, India and was a personal friend of Gandhi. And he wound up being a friend of the President of the United States right before World War II and the the Emperor of Japan. This guy, God gave him tremendous influence. This guy had a, a great revelation of the kingdom of God in the person of Christ. Unfortunately, he was not a great writer because he wrote some of the stuff down, and I'm like, third time I'm trying to read this stuff, and I'm not getting it because it's so hard. But this is something he said that spoke to my heart. I want you to hear this. This was right, at, this was right in the early 50s after World War II. You know, there was an East Germany and a West Germany. Most people, most, a lot of us know that, but a lot of young people don't really know. You need to reconnect with what happened in uh that period of time because that's sort of important. Was it 75th year of the Holocaust that we celebrated? Was that right recently? Some Jewish person tell me they know that besides Dean. He should know that. Huh? 
They knows it. So, yeah. That's important for us to keep that in mind. Anyways, let me read what E. Stanley was saying. Listen to this. I was speaking in a cathedral. That's the kind of place he spoke. In West Germany. This is back when Germany was divided. Communists and, and uh, democracy, supposedly. I was speaking in this cathedral on the kingdom of God. On the front seats were prominent German leaders. As I spoke, they kept pounding their benches with their fists. As he was speaking, they were beating the benches. I was puzzled. I didn't know what it meant. Was it for me or against me? Believe me, preachers are thinking about that stuff when you stare at them, frown at them, get up and run out. They're thinking about that and trying not to. You see, and he said, but at the close of the, of the service, they reveal what they were beating of the benches meant. This is what the, these German leaders said. You seem to sense why we turn to Nazism. Life for us was at loose ends, compartmentalized. We needed something to bring life back into a wholeness, into total meaning and goal. We thought Nazism could bring back that whole. We thought Nazism could do that. But it let us down, let us down in blood and ruin. We chose the wrong totalitarianism. We chose the wrong thing. We now see that we were seeking, what we were seeking for was the kingdom of God. But we didn't know it. We didn't know it. That's why we pounded the benches. We missed the kingdom of God. You see, everything... Everything there is will make you pound the bench eventually. For them, we think, how, how could you be such idiots to go after Nazism? How could you be so deceived? How could a person be deceived to go after communism or socialism? How could a person be deceived to make democracy their God? How could a person be deceived to make their family their God? How, how could a person be deceived to make their ministry their everything? Because in the end, you will be pounding the benches. Realizing what your heart was crying out for was not that, but the kingdom, the king. Every person in this room, your heart's crying out for that, whether you realize it or not. You may be on a long journey down some bad road or a long journey down some wonderful, noble road. But at the end of the day, what's going to really tell on you was that journey towards this person and towards his kingdom, or was it towards you? And towards what you desire, what, what you thought would fulfill you and make your life right. If we don't get this right, we get nothing right in the end. We have to get this right. That's why Jesus says, change the way you think. And here, let me show you some ways to change it. All right, so, I'm going to finish. One of these days. All right, so, if I had point one, I'm going to give you this. Then I'm going to give you one. I want to just tell you just a little story. True happiness, this is my number one point, true happiness and fulfillment that you and I earnestly desire in our hearts can only be found in seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And by the way, if you don't know whatever meant His righteousness, that means Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ not the righteousness of God? So it, just in case you don't understand His righteousness, it's Him. Seek first the kingdom and Him, the person. 
Jesus Christ. That's, that's what God's called us to do, to seek that first above everything else in our life. And, of course, you know it says if you'll do that, then all these things will become, they'll come to you. They'll be given to you. They'll be provided for you. But don't seek those things above, above that. Most people, a lot of people really have that, but we wander in life. We drift from the, from the core. We drift from the essence as life goes on, as we got business to take care of. We've got things to do. We've got children to feed. we got a mission feel. We got things we must do. We got a church we must lead. We got people we must get healed and delivered. And little by little we lose the thing that's in us. And we all be like those people pounding the benches at the end of the day. It may not lead us to blood and ruin, but it will lead us to despair and discouragement. And we will blame God that He let us down. And He would say, no, you let yourself down because you didn't hear this little voice in you. Calling you back to the center. Calling you back to the person. Calling you back to what's your, the order of life that he created. The kingdom. It's true. It really is true. So, let me read this 5-3 for you, okay? Because I found out some, some stuff about 5-3. I wish I wouldn't have found out the hard way. It's blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor... In spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. In other words, these are the people who are going to be able to possess the kingdom. In other words, uh, those people who know their need of God, desperately know their need of God, the more you know your need of Him, the more the resources of heaven will open up to you. All the resources of heaven. That's what it's saying. That's when Jesus said, congratulations, how, how bankrupt you are, how weak you are, how terrible you are. You are in a mess. Congratulations. It's a great day. You should be happy. You should be joyful because heaven is available to you now. Do y'all believe that? I found this in my life, okay? I have found the more I hang on to things, the more unhappier I am. The more I'm unhappy, the tighter I grip them, the more I don't love them. The more I want to get them out of my life. Okay? The more I try to control whatever I'm hanging on to, the more I try to control it, the more miserable it comes, becomes to me. The more I want to push it away from me. It's meant to be. That's how God designed it. Because that repels, that's repellent to the, to the heart of the Father. I know some people, I know many people like this. I know people who have a good life. They have a good life in terms they have nice homes, they make a lot of money. I'm not talking about millionaires. I'm talking about people who just are doing well. They're doing well in life. They're doing being successful in life. And they live in fear because they're so afraid of what's going to happen. How's your business going? Well, it's going good, but I, I really hope, I really hope it's going to be okay. I'm, I'm really hoping. You can feel all this fear coming out of them because they're looking at the future. They're watching the news all day and all the bad news is coming. They're ate up with fear. God never meant us to be like that. And these are Christian people who love the Lord, but they're consumed. They're ruled by fear. It's because the kingdom of heaven is not primary in their life. Now, let me read this to you. I'm just reading stuff, man. I mean, and you know, it's when I have let go. And I'm going to say this. There's pain in letting go. I'm not going to sit over and tell you there's not pain in letting go. That's a lie from hell. It's going to be pain for you to let go of some things. It hurts. 
But you know that old song that hurts so good? That, that's a good hurt. It's a good hurt the day a parent comes to reality they are not meant here to control their children. And they're not trying to control their environment and protect them from this evil world out there. When a parent comes to that reality, they've come to a good reality. Or, you know, anyways. Here's some things I've had to let go of my life. My children, my vision, my ministry, my church, my career, my business, my house, my car, my reputation, my legacy. I had to give up all that. You know why I did? Because it was all M-Y. It was mine. I had a friend of mine talk, call me recently and said, Hey, I'm counseling a young man. He's 32 years old. He's had a terrible breakup in his marriage. There's children involved. This is what he said to me. He's concerned about his legacy. I said, concerned about his legacy? No wonder he broke up his marriage. What about his kids? What about his wife? Who cares about his legacy? He don't have a legacy. I'm thinking, how hideous of a thought that is. That's terrible. That's self-focused. That's living for self. That's living out of who you are. Are y'all okay? (laughs) Personal ownership runs contrary to the kingdom of God. And I've watched people, I've watched people, good people, I've watched things of the kingdom almost destroy them because they grip them so tight. In some ways, the things of the Lord can be as deadly to you as as the things of the world. Anything that you're controlling is going to come back and bite you and bite you hard. It's really true. Like I said earlier, some of the most resentful people I know are parents and people in the ministry. Some of the most resentful, bitter people there are are parents and people in the ministry because they couldn't let go. When I first came up here, I had a friend, uh, some of you know his his name is Tom Bailey. Back in the 70s, he was this amazing Bible teacher. He still is an amazing Bible teacher. I don't know what he's doing, but he has this gifting. He was one of these, like, when you heard him speak, it was like fresh water pouring. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, I wish I could do that. That was my model for years, like, I want to be able to do what he does. I could never figure out how to do it. But he came to me and visited me and said, I have a word for the Lord for you, Byron. This is back right when I got here. He said, here's what the Lord... You, you're, you're a David. Okay? Here's what set David apart. Is David held everything that God gave him, the kingdom of Israel, with an open hand. And when somebody tried to take that kingdom from him, he just let them have it. Versus Saul, who God literally ripped the kingdom away from him because he was an insecure, disobedient man. Because he was so insecure. And he said to me, every once in a while, God is going to come back to you and see if he can take what he's given you out of your hand. You need to know that in your life, in your ministry. And I thought, it was good for a minute. I was a David. I was happy, baby. But all of a sudden, it went down the tubes for me. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It is scary. And I believe it was a real word, but it was a true word. Uh, when I, uh, and I wanted to tell you this, I got two more little things I want to tell you. Are y'all okay? It's when, back in 2012, the the year we would soon forget, or hope to forget, but we can't, um, I came to this conclusion that 
this church really needed me. That was the first time I ever realized, oh, God, I need to be at church. I need to be at home. I need to be at church. I need to forget all my other dreams of ministry and things that I was going to do because we were going through trauma, you know. So I feel like that's what the Lord wanted me to do. So I just threw everything out the window. I had all these great trips planned, and it was terrible, really. I, you talking about a time, you, when I say give up, giving, giving things up hurts. That hurt me. I, I gave up things I had dreamed for years to get to do. But I feel like this is what God called me to do. This church is going through some bad stuff, and I need to be here with this church. Okay, so that's what I did. I did it. God helped me after I complained for a long time. <laughs> you got to be truthful with God, right? Don't act like something's not wrong when it is, because you'll stumble over it later if you don't. So I became sort of a mother hen, you know. That's not a bad thing, right? Jesus said it. Said he was like a mother hen, right? He said, I want to gather you. I mean, that's what I felt. I just want to help the church get through this. And the problem was that there was a fault in it. Okay? And that's what the Lord says. There's a fault in you. I said, what do you mean there's a fault? Look, Lord. Now, I gave up all this stuff to come here. Now you're telling me I'm not doing it right. He just said, there's a fault in you. you you've done went over to the line. You're starting to control everything. And you want to know why you want to run away? Suddenly, you're in control. Suddenly, you have too much ownership of this church, son. You've got this thing. You're gripping it. It's going to kill you. It ain't going to kill them. It's going to kill you. And I realized that day is, I just, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I didn't even know. You know what? See what I'm saying? We all tend to drift towards that if we're not paying attention. What started out being the word of the Lord for me, when I took it into my hands and began to control it and manage it and make it the way I wanted, it started turning on me. It started making me miserable. You can do that and you can apply that any place in your life. You can apply it with your marriage. You can plot to your job. You can plot to your business. You can plot to your dreams of what you think God wants you to do. You can plot to your house. You can plot to your health. You can plot to every place in your life. I'll tell you this. One of the things that Abraham taught us is there's a place called Mount Moriah. Y'all know Mount Moriah? When the Lord said, hey, Abraham, you know that dream called Isaac that I gave you that you waited all those years to have and I did a miracle to get that? Well, guess what, Abraham? I want that miracle now. That I'm going to kill that miracle. And he called him to go to Mount Moriah. And that was a long, hard walk. It was a few days he had to walk up there to Mount Moriah. Three days. You ever had the Lord speak to you, like come up to Mount Moriah? Anybody ever had that encounter with the Lord? Lord, I know one day when the Lord told me about one of my kids, I was sitting there in that prayer room praying, and the Lord said, Bless, bless you... Let's you and me and him walk up to Mount Moriah. I knew what that was about. That was not a pretty time. Isn't that what real worship really is? That's the first mention of worship in the Bible. Abraham said these famous words. Me and the lad are going to go yonder and worship when he was standing out in the base. In other words, I'm going to take the lad up there and I'm going to, God's going to, God's going to kill him. He's going to kill my dream. He's going to kill my, he's going to kill my baby. He's going to take it away from me. But I'm going to go worship. That's kind of, that's kind of bad, isn't it? 
that's when Jesus said, well, you need to be, congratulations. Congratulations. You've lost it. (laughs) You need to be happy, Byron. Don't be sad about this day. This is a happy day for you, baby. This is a real happy day. The dogs are barking. You see what I'm saying? See, this is true about a renewed mind in Christ, having the mind of Christ. Um, You will not have the mind of Christ. You will not consistently have the thoughts of God until your heart surrendered. That's the key to it. There has to be a surrender. There has to be a brokenness. There's people in this room going through brokenness. Okay? And it's a good thing for you. It's not good that you live there, but it's good that you come to that place of surrender in your heart. Because when you come to that place and surrender your heart, Jesus is saying, congratulations, be so happy. Everything's going to be cool now. It's going to be good for you. You're going to be a happy person because the kingdom's yours. And you can begin to tap into heaven now and really see heaven come. And all the things that you thought you wanted, I can really make them even better than you thought they were. I can enhance them for you. Y'all following that? Okay. Mercy, Lord, right? Yeah, so... That's what kingdom of heaven, that's what, that's what changing your mind. I, I just talked to you, I just described changing your mind. Some of you need to change your mind this morning. Some of you, literally, God is walking you up to Mount Moriah right this second. Been trying to walk you up there for a while, and you've been speaking and screaming. This is what I saw. This is what I saw. Come here and be, be my example for me. You're going to be God. You're walking, okay? You just start walking that way. Okay, here's I saw some people. God was trying to walk and you were saying, no, I am not going up there. And he was saying, I'm not letting go of you. And this is where I'm going because I'm God and I'll wear your butt out. I'll wear you out. You can do that all day long. But you're going to live in failure. You're not going to get that job. You're not, your ministry's not going to work because it's good for you. Because once you come to that place, then I can do something. I can do something. And he wants to do something. And so if you were in despair about that, good for you. As Arthur Burke said one time, a good friend of mine, I won't mention their name, said they were discouraged about their ministry. That's what they said to him. Lord knows, I wish I'd have got out of the room then. Because <laughs> he jumped up and started prophesying to him, like, oh, here comes the comfort of the Lord. No. He said, you're discouraged because you're not getting your way. Oh, God, I'm not saying a word. <laughs> That's what I thought, because I was discouraged too. <laughs> I wasn't judging the guy for saying it. I felt the same way. <laughs> I was being exposed. Nobody just thought that guy was just exposing me. A couple other guys, nobody cared, right? But I was getting exposed hard that day. You're discouraged. You're not getting your way. And that's what's, that's what's where some of you at. You're not getting your way. And really God is asking to surrender your way. Because he says, I want to show you the path of life. And even if you thought what he, he thought it was, you were like me. You got off. You took your mother hen thing too far. And there was a fault in it, and he wants to adjust you. So I wanted to take just a moment here for us to pray. Okay? If, if the Lord's speaking to you about this, about anything in your life, I just want to give you an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to, to talk to you.
And just remember that word blessed, congratulations. I think that's what the Lord's saying to you. Congratulations. There's a shift fixing to happen in your life. And something, things are going to be different for you because, because of the Lord, because of your place of surrender. Well, I'm, I'm talking to you. This is not easy. Like I said, it's painful. It's pain in all this. There's pain in it. Jesus knew there were pain when he said, you're happy when you mourn. He knew that. People don't mourn because they're happy. They're mourn because they're hurt. But he's saying there's, there's, there's something that can happen for you. You can get some comfort from heaven. You know. But you have to... Lord, give us a revelation of the kingdom that that we are under the rule of the kingdom. That you want to rule us. You don't want us to rule our life. You want us to look at our life. This is not my job. This is God's job. Everything I got is God's. He owns it. I don't own it. I don't own Becky. God gave me Becky, but I don't own her. I can't demand that she be a certain way. I have to treat her as a sister. I have to treat her like she's a daughter of a king. I have to respect her. That's how you do that if you have a good marriage, if you start thinking about them like that. Think about your kids like that. Think about your ministry. Think about your money like that. When God says, oh, I'd like to have that money for something... Lord, we ask you this morning, I pray for every person in this room, Lord, for a revelation of the kingdom. Your kingdom come, you know, for us, Lord, that we really would be people that could change the way we think, Lord. And we acknowledge today that we can't even do that apart from the Holy Spirit's anointing coming into our mind and to hearts, Lord. So we ask you to anoint us to change, change the way we think, Lord. And I pray for all these people in this room, every person who's making that little hard trip up to Mount Moriah. Some of them stopped and got stuck. I pray that they would finish the journey with you, Lord. Finish the journey. When I took that trip up to Mount Moriah with me and my son, six months later, I had the worst thing that ever happened to me with, between me and my son. It was, I was devastated. It was devastating to me. And the thing that got me through at that moment was knowing that I gave my son to the Lord. And what he did, what, how he had it, what he said, it was between him and God, not between me and him. And the worst thing that ever happened turned out to be the beginning of the healing. So when we come to these places of surrender God will do what only God can do in your life and he will bring you to a place where you feel happy and you feel blessed and you, all those things that are in you that you want so bad that your heart's crying out for he'll begin to fulfill them and you'll quit beating the, <laughs> the bench so to speak that's what we want Lord if you want that I want you to say that's what I want Lord I don't want to beat the bench no more. I don't want to be discouraged about my ministry no more. 
or my career or my marriage or my children or my finances. I'm done beating the bench. I'm here to submit today and say, Lord, your kingdom manifest in me today. Your kingdom come like it's never come. And your will be done like it's never been done. And I surrender to you, Lord. And I thank you, Lord. This is so significant because when Abraham brought Isaac up to Mount Moriah and he laid him on that rock, years later, King David bought that Mount Moriah. And then years later, Solomon built the temple on top of Mount Moriah. And the Holy of Holies was placed where the rock was that Isaac was laid on. So the presence of God for years and years and years in Israel were on that very spot where Abraham offered up Isaac. Significant. Can we stand up now? Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Holy Spirit that you love us enough to really go deep into the recesses of our hearts and our minds, God, and, Lord, really carve out a place that's really meant just for you, Lord. And, Lord, we just today want to say we want that, we desire it, because we really know, Lord, that there is really no other way. You are the way. There is no other way. We just thank you, Lord. Just if our ministry team would come on up now. Thank you, Lord. I do believe there's people that really do need to respond to the Lord this morning. I feel like there's this um, heavy uh, presence of really like conviction. Conviction is always an awesome thing. When you feel that, that means the power is presence, present to repent, to change your mind. So I really feel a heavy presence in the room, a heavy presence of conviction. And that is the Holy Spirit. So I would just encourage you. I feel like there's a lot of people in the room that need to respond this morning. And there's people here to just agree with you. So we just say, won't you make your way up, Lord? Come, Holy Spirit. We want to be yours. All yours. We want to be lined up with the truth, God. Thank you, Lord. So just start responding just to the Lord this morning. We just um, thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. I feel like it's like a hammer this morning. Wow. It's breaking through things. So just come on. Don't hesitate. Just come on. I just think responding to the Lord is important. It's really important. So... Just come on and receive prayer this morning. There's lots of people up to pray. So thank you, Jesus. And everyone else can be dismissed or you can linger in his presence and do business with the Lord in your seat. But do business with the Lord this morning. I just encourage you for that. Saying we love you all. We just say go in peace. Be blessed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.